welcome to 12 questions this is anna valenzuela is she sweaty right now yes very sweaty just hot off a karate class you know how we do ninja ninja in the streets and i guess ninja in the sheets too i guess i don't know uh it's a very weird way to start the show which brings me to uh to grab my my co-host my lifesaver uh save me from my awkwardness mr Dave Yates. Anna Valenzuela, black belt in the streets, orange belt in the sheets. Not very sexually experienced. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> hi, I'm Dave Yates, and I tried my best to make a joke. Uh, it was a good joke. It was a good joke. Uh, I enjoy this. Could, could you read us our beautiful clarity statement? Sure can. Welcome to 12 Questions Podcast. We believe growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences with guests who do the mm -hmm. same. We're not affiliated with AA, NA, or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to give hope to anyone struggling. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves by listening. Huzzah! Dave, I'm very excited about our guests, and our guests introduce themselves. We got another, that way. We got another sober rabbit recommendation. Another Ooh! Whitney, another Whitney Wass. Oh. Another Whitney Wass and recommend. So. I love it. I love it. Who are we speaking with today? My name is Charles Belt, B-E-L-T. Oh, yeah. Hold your pants up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I if hope you're, if you're last, fancy. Yeah, my plan is to be the last Whitney recommendation. Oh! <gasps> Oh, be it. you're going to intentionally bomb? That's great. I'm going to bomb. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Whitney, but, yeah. Amazing. She knows what well, she did. So. Did, did, so did you did you meet Whitney doing comedy or sober shit? Uh, comedy uh, in yeah. Fayetteville, Arkansas. I'm um, familiar with Fayetteville. I've played yeah, many yeah. times. It's uh, a great town. Great town. Yeah. Fucking so, uh, uh, Troy Giddings. Do you know Troy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Troy's, oh, Troy's, Troy. Troy's the homie. One of the nicest things anybody ever did for us on the road. We were on this fucking DIY bullshit tour. And Troy Giddings opened up his uh, Hotels.com app and gave us his free room that he had racked up. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah he's a nice guy. What's cool is we've, we've helped people from Chicago go through Fayetteville, and it's just always a good time. People always really – and they're surprised. You don't think when you go to Arkansas that it's going to be what it is. But Fayetteville is kind of a – an oasis it's a microcosm of uh arkansas yes. you know where it's like it's like affected by the waltons but like not as much as everybody else right not as whether yeah. you're a patron or a fucking minion of the yes. walmart crew but everyone is so yeah mm -hmm. do you work for walmart i did for I did two different times uh, so while i was in Bayville, i worked for walmart i don't know but. hell yeah so it's like you're stripping you can always go back yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, produce, so there's melons and stuff. So ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah it was pretty hot. It was pretty hot. Yeah, nothing's hotter than a than a produce section in a Walmart. Oh my gosh, don't oh. get started. Yeah. No, no natural light to be seen. Ooh, <laughs> just just a, just a bunch of loose yoga britches and some <laughs> some moose knuckles. Yes. <laughs> 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 ridiculous ridiculous well i'm very excited to have you here we're just going to get right on into this Excellent. charles how do you experience surrender surrender okay well uh, i would say that was the hardest one for me mm -hmm. um as far as uh giving up control but understanding really that i never was in control really sure. i guess that's how i experience it is um I'm not driving the bus, you know, I'm a passenger a lot of times and I just can control how I react to situations. So mm -hmm. that would be, uh, but that's not most of my life. Most of my life have been trying to be in control of everything and the people around me. And, um, and that doesn't actually work. You're not actually in control. And that frustration is what led me to drink and, uh, you know, and really that went, that preceded my drinking. And I always thought mm -hmm. drinking was the problem, but drinking is just how I kind of try to deal with the fact that I'm not in control of everything. So. I know. It wouldn't it be better. My sponsor and I were laughing. It would just be better if the world would just listen to us and then we wouldn't have these dramas. Everyone would just be like me. I thought that. I actually thought that one time. That would be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've said it before, but I used to live by the Ernest Hemingway quote that sometimes a smart man has to stay drunk to be around his fools. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. I'm just like, well, if you were as smart as me, you would be fucked up just to deal with everybody. Yeah. I read so much about Ernest Hemingway. I would be really drunk and I'd be like, yes, yeah, Ernest, he could pull it he off. Gets I just got to figure out how he did it. And he then, gets it. And then he puts a fucking shotgun in his mouth. That's, right. That's yeah. Why well, I don't, I never read to that part, you know, it's just the, the highlights, you know? So Who do you think is the boozier author Hemingway or Bukowski? I don't know. See Hemingway drank a lot classier beverages. Bukowski seems like the type that was like drinking the swill out of the bar rag, like mm. wringing out the bar rag in a shot glass. That's that's Bukowski to me. Delicious swill at the but frolic also, room. But also <laughs> I, I would venture to say Bukowski owned the fact that he was a piece of shit. Hemingway n never really owned owned never up did. to the fact that he was a bit of a whore. Bit of it's a, hot. Bit, bit of a bit of a bit of a dude. Bit of a man, a man slut, mm -hmm. a sex idiot. Yeah, if you were to, if you were to have that much seersucker in your life, you probably would be able to get away with a lot more too. Well, mm. shout, shout out to Paul F. Tompkins because he's. <laughs> I was never able to get away with anything. So, <laughs> the seersucker suit or otherwise, like I couldn't pull. I maybe I could pull it off if I shaved down to the mustache. I think I could pull off a seersucker. Mm, I think maybe. a stash, you need it. I do not pull a mustache off well. So what? But your whole face, though. Yeah, but it's you gotta be all or nothing. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. you can't do a regular mustache. Yeah. Uh, a regular mustache for me is a. Um, my father had the most glorious mustache of all mustaches. Yeah, and I don't have daddy issues like that. So if you're walking around with a mustache and you try to flex the mustache game on me, I'm like, whatever. I'm the daughter <laughs> of the greatest mustache of all time. I could yeah. grow it right now. Um, so speaking of, uh, to call back to Whitney Wasson, have you seen her dad's mustache? It's no, I'm not familiar. They have a dad oh, mustache yeah. off. Oh my gosh, it's glorious. That's we, we should have Whitney start sharing pictures. Yes. <laughs> I'll ask her, I'll be like, can I have a dad, can I have a dad pic with your dad's mustache so we can see whose mustaches were better? Uh, this is great. This is hot banter is, in the, in the, the universe. Stuff. Hot yeah. stash yeah. banter. Hot, hot stash banter. Uh, <laughs> I mean, surrendering, surrendering before you get sober is like, I could never surrender to the people, places and things around me. And then surrender after you take away the numbing solution that helped me get to like, I think booze is like the illusion of surrender. You know, like you get yeah. off work after a 12 hour day and you hate all your coworkers and then you drink and you're like, this is surrender. Everything is right with the world again. But you take that away, there is no surrender. And everything mm -hmm. starts to look a little insane. So yeah. the next question, Charles, is what has been the most insane moment that you've had either in recovery or pre-recovery? I mean, uh, I would say my insane moment pre-recovery that really led to where I am now. I guess there were a lot of steps that led to that. But uh, I was um, asleep in my apartment in Chicago and uh had passed out drinking vodka and uh boom 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 there's a pounding on my door it's pitch black the door opens i see a silhouette of uh a guy standing there he flips on the lights he sees me uh, in a bedroom that's just empty bottles and filth and and he's holding a pizza pan and it has a a just a charred pizza on it and just smoke coming off of it and uh and the smoke alarm had been going off for who knows how long. And my landlord lived below me and he's pounding on the door. I can't hear very well. Actually, I wear hearing aids normally, and, but I didn't have them back then. And I can't hear smoke alarms at all. I can't hear high pitch frequencies. So who knows how long it's been going off. He comes up there and he's basically says, you have to leave. And that was just one of many uh, last chances that he finally was like, no, this is enough. You're gone. You're going to burn the house down. You're going to kill everybody inside you're gone. And Whoa. so I finish, and this is the last place that I have. I've earned every other bridge. Somebody gave me a chance to let me live here and I have no other place. I don't have a job anymore. I have no money. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do finally what I've always known I'm just going to do. And I walk through that Logan Square. I walk through the alleyways. I get to the Logan Blue Line, three o'clock in the morning. There's not anybody there. And I stand on that and I see the third rail. 
and I've been fascinated with it ever since I learned about it. And if you touch it, you die. It's the electric. No. It's the electric rail. Uh, so uh, Anna looks uh, uh, aghast. Uh, so Chicagoans know a quick way to. Uh, well, to I've I've heard the phrase the third rail as right. like things you can't touch, things you right. can't talk Don't about. Cross, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I'm just like, oh yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like de de death by L train is is definitely on the Chicago list of right. of ways to go, and that because that, it's guaranteed. And that, you know, I've screwed up by everything else in my life. I don't want to screw this up. And so it's, there's no way to get around it. If you touch it, it's over with. And, uh, and I've like always known that it's leading here, you know, and then I'm standing there and I can't even do this. You know, yeah. I, I could jump down. I could touch it. It would be over with. And I can't even do that. I feel like a coward. And so I call my dad and I can barely even speak. And I said, I need a plane ticket. I need to come home. And, uh, I got home and so I'd say that's uh that's probably the most insane moment when because I always thought okay this this leads it always happens it always ends up the same place this ends in me killing myself mm -hmm. yeah and then here I have the best the most perfect opportunity and there are no third rails in Arkansas everything no. is oh, will it work or will it won't work here you know mm -hmm. and so I left the place with a guarantee and I moved back home and now I don't have that guarantee anymore, you know, mm -hmm. and I didn't want to live, but I didn't want to die either. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's that, you that's know. that no man's land that you mm -hmm. talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Too afraid to live, too afraid to die. I mean, that right. was, I, I literally would drink hoping I was not going to wake up. I wanted yeah. no responsibility for yeah. offing myself, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so I would drink until I passed out. I would wake up. I'd be pissed. I was still alive. And I'm like, well, I guess we're going to try this again. I mean, there was a point I was driving in my car in central Illinois, which is I, I did most of my burning it down in Chicago. And then I ended up getting sober about you know, like blooming to normal about two hours south of Chicago. And uh, I would jump in the car and drive around drunk, hoping that something bad would happen, mm -hmm. that maybe that would stop me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I did the same thing, too. When I um, my last night, I, I was driving around and I was like, I had a plan of just driving in a country back road with my, my eyes closed and just see what happens, you know? And, uh, it's the lamest, most after-school special suicide attempt you've ever seen. <laughs> um, but I always tell people, uh, out here and in, in these streets, cause dr drunk people love to talk to me. Um, mostly cause I, they're just to me like toddlers, like, like real, it's, it's like, I've been, I've been, I've been in the rooms long enough to just feel like, look at this toddler talking to me, mm -hmm. just like, oh, and I have this really, I think it's very funny, but I know it has real world consequences of being like, you know what you should do? You should go home and bake a cake. I think that'd be a great idea. Just like bake a cake, fire up that oven, Let's see what happens, yeah. you know, just to see if they can like learn a lesson. And so it's the first time I'm like, whoa, someone tried to bake something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the apartment that I lived in, that had like layers of, it never had been clean. The oven layers of tenants yeah. long past, you know, built up and, mm -hmm. and it would smoke. Who knows? It would set off those alarms. And that's that classic for. Chicago living too, where it's like mm -hmm. the landlord. Yeah. All the landlord's been living for free for thirty years. Yeah. And then like it, like that's and the thing is is like that that's the thing that's like well, all right. Well, you're gonna burn down the only way I make money. So you gotta yeah, go. Exactly. So that was the last straw. <laughs> so understandably so. I because yeah, he's mad like, at I'm him. not getting a real job. I need to sit yeah. in this apartment and collect rent checks every month. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds glorious. I, I wasn't for a minute mad at him either. I was like, yeah, that's fair. You know, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I love that. I I think that, you know, you talked about you made a decision. You had a sure thing, right? You were going to make a decision and you were afraid to make that decision, right? You had a sure thing decision. And, um, and then you made a new decision, right? You go down, yes. you're in Arkansas, no third rails to be seen. Uh, so... How do you make decisions in your life today? Well, so I come back home. I don't tell a soul that I'm back home. Sure. And uh, like you do in your hometown, you don't want to exactly. see any of those fools you went to high school with. Gross. No, no Especially when you're in a bad place. No, because no, I moved there to become famous. You know, I'm going to become rich and famous. Next time I come here, I'm going to I'll I'll be a philanthropist and I'll uh, I say that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. you said it. And uh, 
yeah so that's uh, you know how all these images that i'm gonna return home is uh triumphant so i came home the worst possible way as i could imagine and my life was completely over with and and uh and i thought well if i can just get home just live with mom i can uh stop drinking and just kind of get it figured out and then i'll get back to chicago in three months was what's my thought and, right uh, uh but i continued to drink i uh finally um my mom takes me drops me off of the hospital uh and then after i get out of there i'm like hey mom and she's like no you can't you can't come home uh anymore you can't come here anymore and my mom is the sweetest kindest quiet little church lady that you will ever meet and that was probably the hardest thing she's ever had to shout, say shout out to ma fucking there's so yeah. many people's yeah. parents that yeah. don't have it in them to do that saved and, your life right. yeah they, they ultimately you, kill they love you to death right they kill yeah. their children because they they yeah. don't do that right and and i don't know how she did it uh, and i always i realized that what I thought in my head is I'll, I'll kill myself. I'll, I'll do this until I kill myself. But that really wasn't what I always had in my head. What I always had in my head is I can always go home. I can always live with mom. And once mm -hmm. that was taken away, that's when it was a real punch in the stomach. And now I am in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I, it's cold, it's November, and I have no place to go. And I call my sister and she says, you can stay on my couch, but you have to go to Harbor House, which is a, a rehab facility in Fort Smith. So this is kind of the beginning of my life. You ask, how do I make decisions when decisions were taken away from me, where I can mm. no longer make any decisions. And I basically just have to do what other people tell me. And I spent my whole life rebelling against that. Mm -hmm. So I'm on the couch uh, living with my sister. I... Uh, get a bottle of wine i start drinking it and she's like okay and she takes me to rehab early three days early they debate on letting me in they decide okay I'm gonna, we'll, we'll let you in i love your sister she's like no yeah it's on my couch with a bottle of wine take it right. away yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, get this demon out of my house yes. <laughs> exactly. she was not too happy with me and my sister is like one of the only people that we're both very, very stubborn and that she can like she loves me to death, but she's not going to put up with any bullshit, you know? Yeah. And she saved, she, I mean, my dad and my mom and my sister all did exactly what needed to happen uh, to ultimately to save my life, which is just basically, you know, take my decision ability away from me. You know, it's like, you're going to be homeless. You're going to die uh, if you don't do exactly what we say. Yeah. And so I go to rehab. And, um, and I have it in my head that I'm going to, uh, it's going to be like prison, even though I've never been to prison. I have no idea what that is, but in my head, that's what it's going to be like. Uh, but it's not like there, there's a kitchen there and I love what I've always worked in restaurants and, and I volunteer to work in the kitchen and I, I'm a counselor and, and she's, I really like her. I can talk to her very easily. And I, I think I'm the worst. I've invented a form of alcoholism that has never existed before. And I'm so awful and unique, I, uh, oh. like special, you know, and I get there and I find out, no, it's like, there are people that maybe are, that have, I had never thought of drinking vanilla from the spice aisle on Sunday. That never extract that. dog. You gotta you get know? that extract. <laughs> yeah. There's a guy who smelled, you could smell him down the hallway. He smelled like vanilla. He smells like a late nineties high school girl. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I spent many a Sunday sweating, not knowing that, oh, I could just go to the spice aisle, you know, the baking aisle. Right. Uh, I get there. I. Uh, the only way you can leave, you're in a building with 30 something people. The only way you can leave is if you go to a meeting. And so finally, after about day 20, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to an A meeting, but I, I'm an agnostic. I, I have not been to church in so long. So I, it's just, I, I really didn't want to go, but I wanted to get out of the building. So I go to this meeting and this is a long, long way to get to how to make decisions. Yeah. You know? but, I uh, love this. Uh, so I, I go to this meeting and I'm an agnostic and they're all about God at AA. And um, well, I get there and there's this guy reading from the big book and it's a chapter is called We Agnostics. I'm like, what? Because you don't even really hear agnostic, you hear an atheist or. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. And then he's the way he's talking, it sounds really. And there's this woman who's like 60 something hippie woman, lives on a farm, you know, grows all her organic stuff. She's just sharing her story. It's like she's describing my life. We're two very different people, but I understand exactly where her brain is. Mm-hmm. And I have all my friends, and had all, I've been friends with people who don't have uh, a problem with addiction. And that helped me to think that I'm really unique. All of a sudden, I just keep being around people and realizing like, oh, there's a theme here. You know, we all kind of think in the same way. And uh, so like, well, I'll, I'll come back. And you you go to a few meetings and then you got to get a sponsor. You know, otherwise you're an asshole. So so I get a sponsor and he's an asshole. I, so I want, didn't want to be an asshole. I want to get a sponsor and he is an asshole. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he's like, okay, you got to work the... You got to work the steps, okay? And you got to do, you got to be done with this by this time. When you start the fourth step, you got to be done in, in two weeks. And uh, if you don't get done in two weeks, best of luck to you. I'm not your sponsor anymore. You got to do this, blah, blah, blah. You got to do this. And you can't, you can't do this. You got to go to a meeting every night. Blah, blah, blah. You can't do this. Best of luck to you. I'm not your sponsor anymore. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, I don't want a sponsor. I don't want to do any of this, but I also don't want something to be taken away from me, even though it's like right. something that I don't want. You know, I'm, I, and it was a very weird feeling. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to just do this to the best of my ability. So I don't lose the thing that I don't actually want, you know? And I, I was like, okay, you know, if I, for the next 90 days while I work the steps, I'm going to surrender my uh, decision-making over to this guy who is an asshole. And I'm going to ask him just the most minute things. I'm going to ask him what, what he thinks. And I was, I got a job at Dollar General after I phased over and I got transitional living. And, and oh, I, yeah. I, I hate it. I hate it. I'm, I'm, I'm too good for this job. And it's a detailed <laughs> job and I'm stocking Lunchables and, and <laughs> I keep falling off the thing and onto the floor. And, and I'm like, man, I've done such cool jobs and now I'm stocking these Lunchables and, and my boss is riding my ass. And, and finally, I, but I save up enough and I get a, a cheap car from a police auction. And I asked my sponsor, I said, should I get a better job? Because I uh, have a car now. And he said, no, I think you're where you should be. You know, when, a, when the next opportunity comes, it'll be obvious. And I was so pissed at myself for asking him. I should have just done it, you know, but I, now I've asked him. And so, okay, I'm going to save this job. And I, and day after day, like I feel this like anxiety inside this like fist at the bottom of my heart and it's like quit this job quit run away go do something else and i felt that like all my life and i always i will quit a job just like that and uh but i couldn't because if i quit then i am immediately homeless and if i relapse i'm immediately homeless i'm without a job so i can't do what i really want to do and so i stay there and that feeling gets worse it gets worse it gets worse i'm going to aa i'm doing the steps and the steps really, they don't make any sense to me until after I do them and I look back and I kind of reflect upon it. Yeah. And finally, I get to the point where I say, you know what, I'm okay with being here indefinitely, you know, and I'm not too good for this job. I'm lucky to have this job and I could walk to it and um, I got good hours. I could still go to meetings and then somebody comes to uh, Dollar General, and I say, hey, the kitchen manager at Harbor House is just put in us two weeks. He's going to retire. And I have all this experience, and I had never thought about it. I never thought that was a possibility, but I immediately took my lunch break and I go over there and I talk to her, uh, the guy in charge over there. And I, you know, I just kind of lay it out that I, I should work there. And he thinks about it, and there's other people who have applied, but then he ends up deciding, okay, we're going to, we're going to give you a chance. And I'm eight months sober at that time. And they hire me to be the kitchen manager at Harper House. Nice. And so, and that began one of the most fulfilling chapters of my life. I currently live. I just got off work. I uh, did two meals today. Had, had guys who were just like me, and that I could have never made that come about. I could have never made the series of decisions that it took for that opportunity to present itself. I, that had to be taken away from me. That had to be my mom making decisions, my sister making decisions for me, my sponsor making decisions for me, and me just doing what I'm supposed to do each day. And then when the opportunity presented itself, it was obvious. And yeah. so 
I don't, I'm not always successful in making decisions that way now. You know, I've gotten more comfortable, but I do try and, and do that. Just focus on what I'm supposed to do today. And then when an opportunity presents itself, it should be obvious. So yes. sometimes you just need to get out of the way. You right. know? And yeah. then, I mean, the people in your life did you a solid. They all yes. got out of the way. Yes. They all, you know, I think a, a pivotal point for a lot of alcoholics and drug addicts is when you go to point the finger at who do you think the problem is and there ain't nobody in the room right. you know there ain't nobody left in your orbit to point the finger at mm -hmm. and then it's just like i hate that old hacky fucking saying where it's like when you point a finger you got three fingers pointing back at you mm -hmm. and all that <laughs> yeah. that whole dumb shit and it's like maybe is that is, do they say that shit around like west coast yeah yeah it's, yeah, a, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a long time colloquial 12-step yeah. fucking dog shit yeah thing. But it's just like when, when, when you're done blaming everybody, you learn that you're the problem. Yeah. And that was a very surprising thing for me to learn about myself. Right. It's like you go through one, two, and three, and then four, and then that, that magical that magical extra column that no one really, right. you know, that kind of it comes out of nowhere, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I was surprised to find out that I had a part to play in all the shit. Yeah. You know, uh, so Charles, what, what's the most surprising thing that you've learned about yourself so far? Um, that I enjoy a calm life a calm predictable dependable life i mm -hmm. lived my whole life of extreme spikes extreme valleys extreme peaks and uh and i was always just proud of myself for getting myself into the worst situation and then figuring out how to get out of it and um uh, always always figuring out how to come up with enough money to do this thing or that thing. Yeah. And uh, being broke most of the time, but when it really counted, I thought, you know, I can pull it together, <laughs> which is another reason that it's hard for someone who views the world that way to get sober, I think, because they're like, okay, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll figure everything else out. I'll figure it out. Um, but the truth is, is like none of that was actually true. Like <laughs> it was all just uh, a Ponzi scheme that was just the problem <laughs> progressively getting worse. And uh, but now I work Monday through Friday. I go in at eight. I'm off at five. I have a four hundred one k. I have. I've always wanted to be rich, uh, and I and I realize that I'm not going to be rich. But I have not been out of money in a long time it's been mm. a couple years now and uh and to me that's rich you know i'm not if somebody comes into town and they want a burger i can go get a burger with them and there's a, most of my life that wasn't true they would have to catch me on a very specific day for me yeah. where they're gonna have to pay you know yeah um just the calm consistent predictable and i had never experienced that and how much that means to me and how much i value that uh is surprising to me that i love that and i i think it it reflects your level of self-honesty that is i love that you're you haven't you have enough money and and that feels rich you know what i mean like that mm -hmm. is i think people kind of like i keep my overhead very very low mm -hmm. so i can have a lot of freedom like financially yeah. and um and i know that doesn't make a lot of sense uh for people but you know, certain material things just don't like matter to me that much. Right. Um, and um, don't get me wrong. There are creature comforts. I got to live in a place with a door and like a bed. That's important. Yeah. I got to yeah. have my own bed, you, you know, bougie, ass. bougie <laughs> for a comedian. I mean, that's asking. That yeah. yeah. When I yeah. move to LA, I'm like, that's my only requirement is I get a door. That's a door. I, want. <laughs> I just want a door. Yeah. And, and so like, I, um, I appreciate that. I love, I love remembering, like, sometimes I'll get into that, that feeling of like, I don't have enough. And then I'll realize, no, I have, I'm doing good. I'm doing yeah. good. And I think that that is, that's like that beautiful, uh, that self-honesty of like, look, girl, you ain't ever going to be Jeff Bezos. You don't even want to be Jeff Bezos. No. You know what I mean? Uh, you've, you've dealt with rich people. They're not great. Uh, in general and like and so you you just want enough to take care of you and the people in your life right yeah. so like what does that mean and I think that that requires a lot of self-honesty uh what's your level of honesty today with yourself and others I mean uh I would say the fourth step 
really open my eyes and they're really sneaky in how they do the fourth step. That first column is like, what did they do? You know, and that's so easy. You know, I can talk about what they did for so long and then it yeah. just goes through. That, yeah, that's anything. easier than remembering the names. I literally right. had to yeah. write down that first column, like, like for part of like the sex inventory, I had to write down like <laughs> mid forties dog walker. Cause I couldn't remember, <laughs> yeah. but I couldn't, re I couldn't remember that lady's name. So like, yeah. that's get as thorough as possible. My sponsor's like, what do you remember? I'm like, she was like in her early forties and she walked dogs for <laughs> a living in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that is her name for the purposes yeah. of <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it's close enough. Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, yes. Uh so I'm doing that column to get to the last one. What if anything? What part did you play? And that's when after I like fill that list out and I start seeing this pattern. Uh and I'm the common denominator in all of this, and, and there's this pattern that I uh, this pattern of uh, basically wanting to be in control of the situation, uh, not being in control, and then trying hard to then be in control, trying even harder, and just progressively trying harder and getting frustrated at the fact that I'm not in control. And Sounds like a pattern of insanity doing yes, the same shit yes, over yes, and over again. Over and over again, hoping for a different result. Mm -hmm. and, um and that and i realized the biggest thing was realizing that that pattern predated my first drink that or and i drank for a long time without being an alcoholic you know i would drink six months would go by i'd have booze in my house and forget about it and you know there's that certain point where i that never happened again i never forgot what booze i had in my house but that pattern existed way before that and um so that was really hard to handle, really hard to accept, but also really valuable. And I, I think I recognized pretty quickly how valuable that was, that um, I keep trying to be in control when I'm not in control. And I work in a rehab now, and I realize that that's a really common thing. We all try and do things to be in control, right? And not just, you're the kitchen person, so you get to hear all the hot goss. Right, so you're exactly. not okay. just with the clients. Oh, baby, uh -huh. the staff. The staff <laughs> is wild. The, uh -huh. staff is, yeah. the kitchen person is like, they just float in, they cook, they make uh -huh. everyone happy. The clients are never satisfied because what do they expect? Like Applebee's, mm -hmm. filet mignon, McDonald's, right. what are their yeah. expectations, right? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, And then you get to like roll out, do your deal, but yeah. occasionally you get a staff member who's like, you would not believe what this bitch did on my mm -hmm. shift. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's fun is you, because I got to experience it as a client and then to become a staff member. It's kind of like when I was a student in high school and I became a substitute teacher and getting to go onto the other side and find out that, oh, they talk about this kind of stuff. Oh, wow. That's uh Teachers say cuss words too. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, quick shout out to the rehab chefs of the world out there. My 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 homie Chef Anthony really set me up solid. Like I I, I worked at like a bougie sober living in, mm -hmm. in like West LA, like West of Bel Air, like yeah, the area of LA where it was down the street from the Nicole Brown Simpson murder house. So nice. I literally passed by. Uh, the house she was murdered in every day to go to work. That's Wonderful. the type of wealth we were dealing with. And Chef Anthony would come in. He would work during the day. He was like an executive chef at a hotel, but he would come in at, to do the afternoons at the sober living because it was bougie and they paid a lot of money to stay there. So they hired a chef. So they got organic meals cooked for them like four times a week. Damn. You know, all Trader Joe's, Whole Foods type shit. And when I knew I was leaving this place, uh, I, I hit up Chef Anthony. I said, yo, bro, I'm uh, I'm quitting this motherfucker in like a month. He's like, word? I'm like, yeah, do you think you make me a little extra food before I get out of here? <laughs> Fuck yeah, I can. So like, I went and bought it like a, a, a deep freezer, you know, because I was ready to just go full bore into stand-up comedy. Like my dad was dying and shit, like, and I was done with this rehab. So for an entire month before I qu quit that job, Chef Anthony would make a little extra. Like not an abundant, but like, you know, if he was making scallops, he'd make a little extra and I would yeah. I would I would ziploc bag it all up because these fools were bougie and they didn't eat leftovers right. so there was always extra so I would I filled this deep freezer up from bottom to top with chef Anthony's right. cooking because he made me extra shit and then when I left that motherfucker I'm like I got enough food that last me six months in here <laughs> 
that smart. Shout out to rehab chefs. Rehab chefs have a small place in my heart because it's like I wouldn't be able to. Do, I honestly like it's you know when when you make the jump to just do full time comedy, like you don't know what right. your money's gonna be like. And mm -hmm. like I had made money doing comedy for a lot of years, but like I was literally going, no more of this. I'm out. And I was like, I gotta pad the old. I gotta pad the old piggy bank here with a fucking. Yeah. <laughs> I filled a hundred and thirty dollar deep freezer with probably. A over a thousand dollars worth of fucking yeah like chef High quality cooked. oh yeah, yeah. Oh, like, wow. and this was like good shit too like this was like bacon wrapped asparagus scallops and oh, all kinds yeah. of shit you know because these mm. these cats were paying like 10 g's a month to live in this motherfucker oh wow so yeah that's yeah. my rehab chef love i love it yes but i, I used mean, to just raid the pistachios i'd be like ah, i don't make enough an hour they, not to eat shelled or unshelled unshelled baby oh my that's God. right yeah that's unshelled i would never buy unshelled pistachios on my own just because of the way i was raised <laughs> and like remembering my father filling like a red solo cup with just the fucking pistachio but yeah. what i when you have a taste of the good life it's like oh you could eat a fistful of pistachios yeah and no effort pistachios it's too easy it's too easy yeah <laughs> yo yeah like my blood was pistachio right like, yeah you can go too far too easily so too much too fast baby mm -hmm. i mean but that's you know it's so nice to experience the other side of addiction and and, mm -hmm. and alcoholism it's nice to be rewarded uh, and it doesn't always happen, but like when people take a chance on you, like you said that, like yeah. they took a chance right. on you. Mm -hmm. My first big yeah. kid job out, out of getting sober wasn't the pizza shop that I worked at. You know, that was my Dollar General. I was making spaghetti and mm -hmm. garlic bread uh, because I yeah. would intentionally fuck up the pizzas. So they put me in a different station, which was less busy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was fucking up these pizzas because all I want to yeah. do is make the spaghetti and garlic bread. It all paid the same. Like, why would I want to be in the high right. volume area of the pizza shop? So I would fuck up the pizzas on purpose. And then they stuck me by the spaghetti and the garlic bread, which yes. is very easy. Um, but like once you start getting, when your life starts getting bigger, I don't know if, if you felt this way or not. Like when my life got bigger, like I started getting anxiety. Like I thought that like if I didn't maintain what I was doing, I was going to lose it. Like it brought up a lot yeah. of anxiety. Yeah. And like a lot of the, the way I dealt with anxiety pre-sobriety was I drank and did drugs. Yeah. Uh, so, so Charles, how do you experience anxiety in your life today? Yeah. Well, uh, so if we can go back to Dollar General. So I, it's funny that you ran, you fucked up the pizza so you could get moved to the, and that's how I lived a lot of my life. I'm like, okay, I'm going to uh, make sure that nobody ever says, let's put Charles on that job. Okay, let's, uh, we want Charles on this. Charles will handle it. I didn't, mm -hmm. I never wanted someone to think that. I wanted to get by with the least amount of, of ability. And that has uh immediate benefits and then long-term consequences so that's a metaphor for my whole life uh you drink alcohol immediate benefit uh long-term consequences um so i'm at dollar general and now I, I this is putting lunchables on a shelf is to me one of the most meaningless things in the world and i thought of all kinds of this is processed food this nobody should eat this we shouldn't even be selling this you know come up with all kinds of reasons on why you stop talking shit about the redneck charcuterie board okay <laughs> i know <laughs> and i know I, I eat them all the time you know but in my but the moment it's inconvenient for me then i can come up with a thousand different reasons on why it shouldn't even exist you know and 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 that would be enough for me to move on uh or do it so poorly that they're like okay you can't be on lunchable duty anymore you did lunchable is so terrible we've got to put you on the mopping this little section here uh but i can't lose this job you know i that's one of the requirements of transitional living you have to have a job and and my boss is like my boss thinks that Lunchables being stacked correctly is really important. And so he's like, he's riding my ass about it. And, and so I'm feeling anxiety. Uh, I have, and I realized later on that I had never let myself feel anxiety to the level I let myself feel with this Lunchables because each day it would be a little worse and a little worse. And I would think, oh, if I could just one day at a time, I'm learning this concept one day at a time. And this is where it really, it one day finally hits home what that means one day at a time, you know? And I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to get through today and tomorrow it'll be better. But it wasn't, it was worse the next day. 
and it was unbearable. Uh, mm-hmm. And but I had just never let myself feel that way because I would just drink. If I right. the moment I start feeling that, I drink and then I don't. And so. And two things would happen whenever I do that. I would deny myself the opportunity to learn how to deal with this feeling. And I would deny myself the opportunity of learning how to learn how to deal with something. So it's like two things that I would deny myself. So by the time I'm at this point uh, in Dollar General, I am still a child. You know, I'm still when that when I started drinking, I have not in this aspect of dealing with anxiety, I've not aged at all. And uh, yeah, they always say it stunts emotional growth. Like I said, right, yeah. the, the and, year you started boozing, that's what you are when you get sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's and that uh, is very true. Uh, and that's the hardest thing to to come to terms with because then I, you know, so certain point I go in and it's not so bad today. Mm-hmm. And I because there's a system really to putting watchables on a thing. Uh, and an, uh, one a would say there's an art. To it. There's an art to it. The Dow, I, the Dow of Lunchable placement. Yes. And I figured out that you know you gotta release it just at this stage because your if your finger touches any of them as they're coming back, they're all gonna come off. You know, mm-hmm. so you gotta set it down, you gotta release it just and it gets to where no time. And I can move on to the next thing. And my boss, he comes by and he's like, doesn't say anything, but you know, yeah, that's the way lunchables are supposed to be put up there. <laughs> and, that, and that and I feel that felt good you know to get those up there and for someone to notice you know that I figured out a system and I realized like the issue was that I wasn't immediately good at putting something up there and so I come up with all these different reasons on why it's not important in the first place right when I'm not not good at something right away the anxiety is through the roof yeah absolutely and so I just I only do things that I've previously done to a certain point that I'm good at them, you know. And so I hate retail. I hate putting lunchables on there. I get good. I think at it's putting. safe to say that we we know your feelings about the lunchable market. Can I? Can can we talk just a little more about the lunchable? Ah! <laughs> I I think I think uh, I, I feel like the next several questions I'm going to work lunchables in there. So well, I don't want I, to, but it's just going to happen. It's like having experts on the podcast, <laughs> and who knew we were speaking to Northwest Arkansas's foremost lunchable lunchable expert? Uh, well, you know, I think if there's my char- bio right there. Yes, if if character <laughs> defects had a flavor, I think it would be uh, a turkey cheese lunchable um especially yes. one of those pieces of turkey that's still got a hard part in it you ever bit into a turkey lunchable with like a no bowl? no i never really like, in there mom, yeah, yeah. Ah. Yeah, the, old, the old turkey knuckle in the lunch yeah. my, my dad was a my dad was a butcher and we would eat like some processed foods but like a lunchable was like a big it was like a big treat like they tried to get me to like eat easy stuff but motherfucker raised me on t-bone steaks once a week mm. like filet like like pork chops aside you know that thick oh, yeah. like so i ate I ate like a queen as a child. So it was really hard to sell me on things like Kraft macaroni and cheese. I remember eating that for the first time and being like horrified. (laughs) I was like, what is this? What is this nasty box food? But I I get it. I guess. I don't know. I liked a Lunchable occasionally, but the meat always. Love the pizza, pizza lunchable was always solid. Love, love a pizza lunchable <laughs> because it has a you cured. Yeah, you can't fuck up cured pepperonis and fucking oh. sauce packets. I it's the it's a any any meat that has its own sweaty film layer. I don't trust it. Like a like a like a deli like a like a real slimy turkey or a real slimy like a spam like ham like a spam. oh spam like a, i don't fuck with like spam, spam. Oh, no God. i threw up spam when i was a kid one time my dad was like i really want you to also learn how There's to eat people poor doing people some food. real fine work with spam over in hawaii i'm sure they are and yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's really really great Let's but i've definitely definitely violently threw up spam once in my life it's like, um, mas- like spam masubi i think it's called i'm sure or- it's great i'm sure i'll i will try spam masubi one day but until then uh I, no, um, <laughs> nope, <laughs> hard yeah. no. Anyway, uh, compressed meats, character defects. Yes. What character defects are you still struggling to let go of today? I mean, my constant would be the uh, control, I would say. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing that I learned uh, in AA is, is the, where's the fear? 
Yeah. My sponsor yeah. asked me that all the time. Where's the yeah. fear? Yeah. Where's, where's the, fear? the fear? Yeah. And that's, and it'll, I ask people that a lot too. And it's a really good way to piss somebody off because they're like, they're like, no, I'm angry right now. I'm not afraid. And like, well, anger is fear. You're afraid of. Something. Yeah. And fear and frustration that, typically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that generally that fear is that I am not calling the shots yet. Somebody is not acting like the way I think they should be acting. Sure. And uh, so it is once, you know, and there's a, a part whenever I'm, um, I'm going to paraphrase here, but when I'm frustrated or angry or in doubt, I pause. Mm-hmm. And that, pause when agitated. That pause. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, so if I'm feeling angry, sometimes I'll let it go for a little bit, but sometimes if I remember, I will say, you know, well, okay, what am I actually, what am I afraid of right here? And that being able to go through that question and ask myself has really helped me a lot to deal with that. Uh, uh, but if I don't realize it, that can get down when I'm trying to be in control of some little thing that doesn't even really matter, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. Kinda, yeah. I had a very dumb moment and it still crops up for me. Control. I think control is always the one where it's like, cause we're just trying to be safe. Damn it. We're just yeah. trying to feel safe. And I got in a very dumb three-way control fast with a, a, two people in my life uh, over the movie. Malignant. That doesn't sound like what you think it sounds like. I was in a three-way control fest. It was a three-way. It was not. Giggity. It was not a sexy. It was not a gig. It was not a sexy. Not, not it was a not a sexy. We were all yelling about one scene in *Malignant* and uh, *Fabulous B Movie*. By the way, the world's best B movie. Um, and uh, just all yelling about it. And I got. And it was so funny because I could feel myself be agitated. And I paused for a second. And I was like. At first, I did not respond well. I was like, because we were getting loud. I was like, you know, everybody shut the fuck up. Hold on. Let me just get this out. And they were like, ah! and then I said, you know what? I'm going to leave. <laughs> and then I tried to leave. And uh, and results were varied because uh, control does not like you to walk away. <laughs> I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going like, to relinquish control. But I think I'm going to walk away because I'm super irritated right now. Uh, two months off of no nicotine and I'm doing great. And so I'm just like trying to moonwalk out of the situation. And, um, and it is fascinating how like control still comes up. You know, like Al, uh, I work, I, I work pretty hard on not being controlling in a lot of areas of my life, but occasionally it'll just come right back up and just be yeah. like, Hey, you should be in charge. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no. And it comes mm-hmm. up in different ways. It comes up in codependent control. It comes up in, um, uh, that was probably the last few years. That was like the biggest one. And then I had, and then I should really work on that and really look at that. And now what's interesting is how I react to other people's acts of control has become a new, a new frontier, a new frontier. (laughs) You know, am I going to duck them? Am I going to try to, am I going to try to slip away, which is something I'm kind of known for doing? Am I going to meet them force with force? Or am I just going to be like, does this matter? Probably not. Yeah. You know, like, and to just be like, nope, it's valid. That person's also attempting control, but that doesn't justify me doing my character defects either. Does right. that make sense? Mm-hmm. How am I yeah. going to react to this? Yeah. Yeah. I don't need to react to that. I could just right. be like, okay, well, cool. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's usually a lot of times it's just like, okay, well, I, uh, I guess this is where we're at today and uh, cool. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I love that. I, I love, I love your consciousness around control. You know what I mean? Well, it's also going to be a hard environment too, like managing a kitchen. I mean, cause you do yeah. have to like exhibit some type of control yeah. Yeah. The environment, but that's, yeah. I mean, that's a thing too. It's like, I'm in the business of getting on stage and like whether people like me or not is part of the job. But then also having to be like, it's none of my fucking business what people think of me. Yeah. So there's that mm-hmm. interesting dichotomy where like some of your assets that were defects pre-sobriety, but they can still be defects when manipulated, you know, so that's that's the yeah. balance. Yeah. And sometimes I got to forgive myself for just like, yeah, those those defects, even the ones that you still got, you use them to protect yourself. Like you, yeah. you've used these to, to kind of, you know, survive. 
you know, yeah. so there is an amount of self-forgiveness that needs to happen in regards to defects. Uh, so, uh, Charles, what would you say uh, your experience with forgiveness is? Um, so, uh, forgiveness of myself, I guess. Uh, Yourself or well, those around you, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, realizing, you know, <clears throat> I came to rehab uh, angry at other people, you know, angry that my mom said I can't come home, angry that my dad shouted at me in the hospital parking lot, angry that my sister was not understanding. Uh, um, working through that fourth step made me realize that really I didn't have to forgive them because they really hadn't done anything wrong. Uh, um, and, you know, I did um, my amends. I had to do a lot of them with letters uh, or messages on Facebook or, uh, and, um, but, uh, you know, at a certain point, there are people that I couldn't get in touch with, people that I couldn't remember. You know, I had mm -hmm. my own dog walker under under 40s, you know. Mm -hmm. And well, there's always uh, one. Yeah, there's always one, you know. <laughs> and they, you know, my sponsor said basically how you do an amends for them is uh, you treat the people in their life now the way you should have treated them. Well, uh, so you were able to find some forgiveness for yourself in that in that fourth column, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I don't, I, um, I think that's one way that addiction works is it says, okay, okay, okay there's not something going on currently in your life. Well, let's bring up this thing that always fucks with you. Let's mm -hmm. bring that up. And then that way you can feel now the way you did then. And that always leads you to back to me, you know? And so, uh, being able to forgive yourself, um, those things lose their power, you know? And yeah. so it's just one less thing that can lead you back down that road. Yeah. Well, and then, and then you started talking about the amends process. Like, uh, that's, that's the ninth question is like, what, what has been your most surprising, uh, amends or apology that you've either given or received? Um, <laughs> well, I, uh, I had, uh, two different, uh, exes in Chicago, um, from, they didn't really know each other that well. Um, they had spoken maybe a couple times. Uh, they weren't friends or anything. They, one was a theater person, one was a comedian. And um, when I text both of them at separate times asking for their uh, mailing address so I could mail them a letter, they both uh, replied back, don't send a bomb. Uh, they both made the same joke. Uh, they don't what? know each other, you know. Wait a minute, Charles. I, do you know how to make bombs? I don't. I don't. Right. But I feel like there's I a just metaphor see you there. Constructing a, a, a lunchable filled bomb. <laughs> <laughs> how to construct a yes. fucking hillbilly explosive device out of lunchables? I, it's just, I don't it's know. It's Mountain, Dew, That's crazy. It's, it's Mountain yeah. Dew Code Red, and you got <laughs> yeah. to get the ham lunchable. You yes. got to put the ham lunchable pieces in the in the liter of Code Red. <laughs> And <laughs> I'm not going to try that. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Yeah. It's a, uh, I God, code red. I used to drink before I got, I, st I still, before like I got red. clean, I go, I guzzle uh, that. I still like a code red every once in a while <laughs> as a treat. Like I don't drink a lot of sugary shit, just yeah. by nature. Um, and, but like every once in a while, I'm like, I'm going to have a code red. It's actually one of the main ingredients in the Pfizer vaccine. <laughs> so not a lot of people know that that's but. that johnson and johnson baby that's yes. why yeah. that's why it was only one shot it's straight mountain Dew, yeah. which is surprising <laughs> i mean you figured they would want that information out there for people I in know. arkansas so they would get vaccinated it, it was, more people would have used it you need, yeah. to, you need to start spreading the word to your, <laughs> to your country man. that's what i'm here for i that's why i i, I want to get this word out so they could just put it in the baja blast machine at taco bell and call it a day uh -huh, yeah that would be solved baja blast is the king of the dues it really i hadn't yeah. had a baja blast until until the pandemic started and the uh the cursed taco bell near my house opened back up and uh, uh it had like gone out of business and caught on fire and all kinds of stuff that <laughs> happened to it and my roommate was like let's go get a baja blast i was like i've never had one and i was like wow what an experience yeah. for an addict all parts of my brain just jumped right up so they were like hi are you vaping <laughs> But with you, like, not vaping? What's happening? Uh, <laughs> it tastes like vape. Is there nicotine? Can we get some nicotine in here? <laughs> um, I miss it every day, folks. I um, 
All right. Your two weeks, two months, you said? Two months. And I, and I just, and I, I, uh, my, my sponsor quit a week after I did too. And sometimes we just call each other and I'll just be like, I want to vape. And it's stupid. Yeah. And I have, I thought I had coping skills and now I got to like re-engineer my coping skills because everybody's pissing me off and now yelling about malignant, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, you, like I'm furious. Alan Carr. Yes. Uh, yeah. I've read heard that of, book. Uh, easy way to stop smoking. I have not read it. Uh, I've heard it, a lot of people talk about it. So, cause I had, I've quit smoking a little over two years now. Congrats. And, uh, he also has a book on drinking and it like, but so I tried to quit smoking, would go back and forth, ended up smoking more than I ever had before. I um, got on Reddit and I'm like, how do I quit? And just people kept commenting about this book, Alan Carr's Easy Way to Quit Smoking. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll get the audio book and I'll, I'll try the audio book. And uh, honestly, I got to the end of that audio book and I've never wanted to smoke since then. It can really? Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, see, you what, see what books do? They make you I know, yeah. They'll make you not cool anymore. Yeah. I just want to say, by the way, that this is maybe the first time on this podcast a self-help book has been brought up. Uh-huh. And I didn't initiate it. <laughs> I love a self-help book talk. Yes. Yeah. Uh we've had self-help book authors on this oh, podcast, but we have not mm-hmm. maybe had somebody just be like, you you folks with some self-help. I'd be like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I enjoy that. Yes. Uh, that being said, I will check that out. I will take that good orderly direction and check that out. Yeah, let me know. Since I have no, uh, since my coping skills suck a butt right now, um, what is it that you do to keep yourself sane and on this planet? What is your day-to-day get down for Mm. your spiritual life? Yes, Uh, I would say um routine is very important to me and um tidiness uh and i've lived most of my life um in a very messy house very messy room uh with a pretty sporadic routine and and like that you know or at least never had a problem with it and when i went to transitional well in, in at Harbor House, uh, the 28 days, I had to make my bed every day. You get in mm-hmm. trouble if you don't make your bed. So I make my bed. And it's kind of nice to, at the end of the day, you come to a, a made bed. You know, never, I was like, what's the point? I'm going to mess it up anyways, but kind of nice. I transition. I uh, have my own room now next door. And uh, and I let, I just got closed. I just kind of go back to the way I was. Well, then the house manager, he sees this one day and he says, no, man, you got to clean your room. You can't do this. And I'm embarrassed, but part of me is kind of thankful because I really didn't like it. And now I don't want to get in trouble. So I, I clean my room up and, and then I come home every day and I have a, a clean room and everything has, I come up with a place for everything, everything. I put my shoes here and this goes here. And, I was always and, told that even if you fuck up the entire day, if you've made your bed, you can come home and you've like, I did that, yeah. that one, at least that thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you wake up in a, a clean place and you come home to a clean place for me, anyways, it, it just helps my brain. Uh, and when it's not that way, and there's been times whenever I've let my let my house or my apartment get really untidy, and it just snowballs, you know. And then I feel uh, I feel like I've I've relapsed, kind of, mm. like when my house is because that's what would be the real hallmark of every time I relapse is my house is or my room is awful. And so if I ever let it get any sort of resemblance to that, um, I just uh, it doesn't make me want to relapse. I just feel like I have in, in just a slight way. So having a, you know, at work, I, on this day, we do this on this day, we do this, you know, I have a clean make sure that, and then uh, over the course of a week, that means everything is done. And so at a certain point I realized, well, why don't I just do that at my house? Um, so I just come up with a list on my refrigerator and on, um, uh, you know, on Tuesday, it's sweep the entryway and, uh, you know, just like, and then over the course of a week, uh, everything's done and I wake up in a nice place. I come home to a nice place. I go to sleep in a nice place. And, um, when I don't do that, uh, and harder for me to cope with other problems. When I do that, uh, mm-hmm. I find it just much easier to cope with 
whatever stress is outside of my house. Sounds like good orderly direction to me verbatim. Uh, and that, <laughs> that 11th question is what is your relationship with a higher power? If you have one, what's it look like? Um, so as raised Baptist, raised very religious, um, snake handler, uh, huh? snake handlers. No, no, not that. Uh, <laughs> so Baptist or regular? Yeah. <laughs> oh, are, are you guys yeah. are you guys standard Baptist? Are you Mountain yeah. Dew Code Red Baptist? I was just gonna say Mountain Dew or Code Red, baby. Yeah, standard. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did with the Lord's Supper. Is a little Code Red, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not my coffee over. Oh, oh no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, but uh, so I went away. From from that for a long time. And then um, I started going to AA and they say, hey, you know, you whatever your definition of a higher power, that's that's fine. You get and I didn't believe them that I thought for a little while uh they would let me be say that I don't know the answer to that question. But eventually they would want me to have an answer. Uh if they never ever did. I mean, nobody ever made me uh conceptualize what my higher power is but i learned to pray uh so i get up in the morning and i don't do this every day but um and but my prayers look more like hey, this is what's important to me today this is what i'm going to work on today mm-hmm. uh, you know please and i'll say dear heavenly father I'll, I'll pray like i was taught to pray as a kid uh even though i'm kind of praying out into the ether um and and on days that I do that, it really does help. It's like, okay, I'm gonna try and not eat 20 candy bars today. Uh and maybe I'll only eat 10 on that day. So <laughs> <laughs> whichever works, man. Yeah. I, I just think it's my opinion is as long as you're trying to have a conversation with anything out in the universe, I think that's uh that's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. We reached the end. We did the end. We did it. One question. We have one question left. Charles, are you ready? Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. What is one thing you would say to like, tell somebody just like you in the world? Uh, Hey, Lunchables are okay. You know, (laughs) (laughs) the the path to sobriety through the eyes of the Lunchable. Yes. Well, now you can get those little cheese sticks with the prosciutto wrapped around it. That's so much better. Get that in an apple, baby. Mm. Yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah. Yes. That's all I'm saying. We don't have to live that life. Yes. Uh, uh, Say, don't try and be in control because you're not anyways. Yeah. You know, you're just in control of how you react to the situation. You're not driving the bus. You're you're riding the bus. So sometimes yeah. I like to be like, I am the bus, baby. Hi, yeah. <laughs> I'm the bus. I, I was a back of the bus kind of motherfucker. I sit yeah. in the very back. So you can't hear me talking <laughs> shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> ah, I love it. I love it. Charles, where can people find you? And is there anything if you want them to find you? Is there anything you'd like to promote? Yeah, I, so what's cool is, you know, I went to become famous uh, in Chicago. I, I didn't. I don't know if you know that. I'm not famous. I uh, thought everybody from Chicago became famous. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like a surefire plan, but uh, totally. Started drinking vodka and that it didn't work out. Otherwise, I would be very famous. <laughs> My favorite thing I said in Chicago was, man, y'all drink around here. Like, I've never <laughs> seen so many livers on the outside of a body before. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, my motherfuckers be drinking here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I came back home and uh, I've done stand up one time since I've been here and realized, like, I you. don't like it anymore. Oh, <gasps> congratulations. <Yes>. You're funny. <laughs> What's it like? What's it like, Charles? What's it like on the outside? It's so nice. So I went to I went to an open mic in Fayetteville, and nobody knew me. I haven't been there in so long, and it's all new people. But they're having the same conversations that people have in Chicago, I assume, in LA. Uh, You know, if I just write this one, if I just meet this person, if I just brew this one, if I just get in front of this, if I just, yeah, then uh, then and it's uh, really it's hard to be around somebody like that <laughs> uh yeah and um and i realized because i always thought AA was kind of like stand-up and i thought of oh, this is this mic and this is this mic and pioneer that's like the laugh factory and mm. uh but really it's the opposite you know and um if you're in your addiction you go so far you're isolated you're alone you're in a hotel room and stand-up is a lot of, you write your jokes by yourself you're on stage alone 
and sure you're there with other people, but it can be a very solitary uh, endeavor, you know, and AA and recovery is about connecting with people and you don't care. Uh, the newest person in the room is the most important person in the room, right? And mm -hmm. you don't care what this person can do for you. Uh, so it's uh, it's been very freeing. And so I, I'm in plays at the Portsmouth Little Theater. And so I get that same feeling of being on stage. Where can, people, I, where can people watch you uh, perform in, in the plays? Yeah, at the Portsmouth Little Theater, they could come... Probably won't be in one for until next year, uh, but I was in two recently, cool. which prevented us from from being able to do this. Uh, Amazing! Uh, but yeah. do you have any social media you want people to check you out on? Or no, it's fine. Nope. Like, ah, yeah. the freedom of life. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're gonna do that damn thing because I'm still a piece of shit comedian. So I need yes. to know my social media handles. I'm so sorry. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Yates Comedy. Y A T E S Comedy. And if you're looking to support me directly, the best way to do that is you can order hot sauce from me. HahaHotSauce.com. That is my it's really good. I'm very famous for it. If you're a chef, you can go to HahaHotSauce.com and spice up that rehab food, y'all. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm and if you want to find me or this podcast, you can find me at Anna V is fun. That's Anna with two N's on Twitter, Instagram, uh, you know, all the things, TikToks, whatever. You can also go to my website, AnnaValenzuela.com. And for this podcast, you can go to a 12Q pod on all the social medias. What, what, what? Tell your friends. Tell <laughs> your friends. Um, all right. And how we have this podcast every time, Charles. So if nobody's told you this today, we love you. Love you, Charles. Thanks for coming on. Love you too. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you, Whitney. Yeah, thanks, Whitney. And Dave. Love you. Yes. And David, oh, nobody's. Looks like we're out of time. Uh, Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Nobody's told you this today. We love you. So, okay. And if you're listening and nobody's told you this today, we love you. Love you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Love you. Bye. I like you. Yeah.